I'd like to begin uh, with a kind of a, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a preparation for this message, uh, because this one is a difficult message for me to, to preach. Um, it's probably, probably one of the hardest messages I'll preach all year. So you, you kind of need to get yourself steady for this one, okay? The subject that we've been preaching, that I've been preaching on, is the book of Hosea. And for those of you who have been with us, and uh, you, you remember parts of the story, those of you who ha- haven't, what God did was he said to Hosea and his wife, Gomer, you are going to play a drama, and Hosea is going to play the role of God, and Gomer is going to play the role of the people of Israel. And unfortunately, God told Hosea that his wife, Gomer, was going to be unfaithful to him. And they had a child together. But the second child was not Hosea's. The third child was not Hosea's. And last time we talked about how God pursues us. If this is God and his people and God says to Hosea, now go, I want you to buy her back. I want you to buy her back from slavery because she was in debt and she sold herself into slavery to pay her debts. And And God told Hosea, go buy your wife back, which is an extraordinary thing. All she had done to stay away from him, not want to come back, leave him with three kids, be a single parent, and then be sold into slavery because she couldn't pay her debts, even after Hosea had gone to her house and provided for her, gave her food, gave her money to to support her. But finally, her behavior led to her downfall. And yet God says, go and buy her back, win her over, woo her back. And spend the time necessary in order for her to come to terms with her sin and her life. But you, Hosea, are going to be faithful to her. You're not going to force yourself into her. You're going to take some time apart. But together, you're going to be man and wife in this covenant relationship. And that's where we left the story. But now we have the indictment that Hosea has to bring against the people of God. It's literally like a court. I want you to imagine this as a courtroom scene. God is the judge. God the Father is the judge. Hosea is the bailiff calling everybody to attention. And Jesus is the prosecutor. Now let's read this chapter from Hosea chapter 4. You can follow along on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. It's kind of like the bailiff saying, Hear ye, hear ye, all rise, the court is now in session. Right? The Lord has brought these charges against you, saying... There is no faithfulness, no kindness, and no knowledge of God in your land. That's the indictment in its proper form. There's three things. There's no faithfulness, there's no kindness or devotion, and there's no knowledge of God. You make vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There's violence everywhere, one murder after another. That is why your land is in mourning and everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea are disappearing. Kind of sounds like the environmental crisis we're going through now, right? I mean, we see the the glaciers disappearing, the species going extinct in our world. Don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass the blame. My complaint is with you priests. It is with you. Oh my goodness. Now, us pastors and priests are the object of this indictment as well. So you will, st- my, complaint, you, my complaint, you priests is with you. So you will stumble in broad daylight and your false prophets will fall with you in the night. And I will destroy Israel, your mother. 
My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. Remember last time I talked to you about how the, that, that there's three years in the story of Hosea and Gomer, uh, of Ho- Hosea trying to win Gomer back and doing everything he can to keep her protected. And eventually God says, let her be in her own sin. Her own choices will make her come into ruin. And this is what's happening with the people of Israel. God has wooed them back. He sent prophet after prophet, literally hundreds of years. And finally, God says, I'm going to leave you to your own devices. And this is the description of what's been going on. Verse 7, the more priests there are, the more they sin against me. They have exchanged the glory of God for the shame of idols. And when the people bring their sin offerings, the priest gets fed. So the priests are glad when the people sin. And what the priests do, the people also do. So now I will punish both priests and people for their wicked deeds. They will eat and still be hungry. They will play the prostitute again and nothing from it and gain nothing from it. For they have deserted the Lord to worship other gods. There's that imagery of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer uh, lived and was unfaithful with other men. And God is saying, that's what you're doing to me in my relationship with you. I am steadfast. I'm loving. I hold my arms out to you. And I'm waiting for you to turn to me. But you continue to choose to go down that road of unfaithfulness. They will eat and still be hungry. They will play the prostitute and gain nothing from it, for they have deserted the Lord to worship other gods. Wine has robbed my people of their understanding. They ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols has made them foolish, and they have played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their God. They offer sacrifices to idols on mountaintops. They go up to the hills to burn incense in the pleasant shade of oaks, poplars, and terebinth trees. That's why your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughter-in-law commits adultery. But why should I punish them for their prostitution and adultery? For your men are doing the same thing, sinning with whores and shrine prostitutes. Oh, foolish people, you refuse to understand, so you will be destroyed. Though you, Israel, are a prostitute, May Judah not be guilty of such things. At this point, the nation of Israel broken in two parts. North was Israel, south was Judah. God was speaking specifically to Israel, but now he turns to Judah and says, don't be like your sister. Don't be like her. Don't join in the false worship at Gilgal or Beth-Avon and do not take oaths there in the Lord's name. Israel is stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. (laughs) Some of you (laughs) can understand what that's like, you know, or like, so should, the Lord, so should the Lord feed like a lamb in the lush pasture? Feed her like a lamb in the lush pasture? Leave Israel alone because she is married to idolatry. When the rulers of Israel finish their drinking, off they go to find some prostitute. They love shame more than honor. So a mighty wind will sweep them away and their sacrifice to idols will bring them shame. Awful. A mouthful too, yeah. Don't you feel the heaviness of this passage? I mean, how is this supposed to be, how are we supposed to understand this? Well, I want to put you through a little bit of a, a dramatic scene. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask for two volunteers. You don't have to do anything except read from a script. I'm not going to make fun of you. You are not going to be belittled. As a matter of fact, you're going to play the role of God or Jesus in this drama. And 
and all I'm asking you to do is read from a script that I'm going to hand to you and help me play out this courtroom scene. Could I get two volunteers to be willing to do that? Sit with me, take a microphone, and just read from the, the script. I am Hosea, the bailiff, in this courtroom scene. And uh, I just want to borrow your, your script for a second. Uh, hear ye, hear ye, would all of you rise, please. Rise in the house of the Lord. In the heavenly realm of God our Father, creator of heaven and earth, king of kings and lord of lords, the one who is worthy, who is without sin, who is without end, holy is the Lord God Almighty to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. God, our Heavenly Father, versus the people and the pastors of Israel. All right. So the people and the pastors of Israel. And Jesus, the prosecutor. And so George is playing the role of Heavenly Father, and Adam's playing the role of Jesus, the prosecutor. Now you imagine a courtroom scene, right? You are now in the audience, and you are going to be called as witnesses. I'm not going to bring you up, but you, you are going to be called as witnesses, and now God is going to lay out his case against Israel. And he's going to share in this passage, which we just read, the indictments, the charges that are laid out. I bring the following charges to God's people. Hear the word of the Lord of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying. All right. Now, we turn it over to the prosecutor. And the prosecutor has the indictments. Prosecutor is one who's now going to bring charges. Who is on trial here? It's not God. It's not Jesus. It's Hosea and the people of Israel. The priests, the pastors, and the people of Israel. So all of you are now included in all of this. See how terrible this sermon's going to get? I mean, this is, this is really tough stuff, right? Now remember, Hosea and Gomer. What happened with Hosea and Gomer? God said to Hosea, you are going to pretend to be me in this whole series of conversations about these two people. And you are going to be me because I'm going to be steadfast and my love is absolute. I will never leave, never forsake, never walk away from you. I will always be ready when you come back to me. And when you are close, I want you closer. And I want to show you such love, such unconditional love that you will know the love of God above all else. But I must bring these charges against you. Because in order for you to know your sin, to know how much God loves you, you have to know how sinful you really are. Jesus, Adam, would you read the first indictment? Indictment one, there is no faithfulness. Both men and women of the Old Testament and New Testament possess knowledge of the Almighty God as the Holy One and Faithful One to His covenant. And they have turned from such knowledge and suppressed it. So the first charge comes to the people of Israel. The first charge is all about the fact that uh, we have known the fact that God exists. And this, this, this message is to the people of Israel. These are people who knew God. They grew up being taught the word of God. And some of you have grown up in church environments your whole life and you went to Sunday school and you, maybe you went to youth group and you've been in sermons for a long time. Some of you here 
maybe you haven't been to church hardly at all, maybe for the last little while, but it is being spoken to both of us. And there's a sense in which the people of Israel know about God, but they have decided to suppress that knowledge, to go about our own way, to do our own thing, to include things of this world and make it part of our religious kind of culture. And the danger is that we suppress God and things start to happen. It's, it is worthy of note that the first thing that God calls them to account for is lacking the very thing that he is perfect and eternally faithful in. God says, I am faithful. Nothing will change the fact that I'm faithful. But he's asking us to be faithful as well. And the whole story of Hosea is Gomer going off and being unfaithful, sleeping around with other men, giving money and offerings to Baal, an idol that was worshipped. What are the idols that we worship in our day? We, we, we put people, our children, our, our spouse in before God. We put money and prestige and uh, we put culture and its teachings and politics before God. We do all kinds of things that make us idol worshipers. We're guilty of adultery, each and every one of us. And God stands as this faithful husband in the midst of this trial and says, you must know what you're doing. When a spouse, uh, sorry, let's go to the second uh, indictment. The second indictment, there is no devotion. You make vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. That is why your land is in mourning and everyone is wasting away, even the wild animals. The birds of the sky and the fish of the sea are disappearing. Now, when you think about our culture today, if God was speaking to the nation of Israel back then, he is speaking to our nation Canada today, right? Now imagine if God was speaking to the nation of Israel that he's speaking to our nation as a whole. Can we say as a country that we have devotion to God as a country? I think that would be pretty hard to say yes to, wouldn't it? I mean, we think about our political structure. It's based on the teachings of the Bible. We all know that. We know that our country's justice system is modeled after the teachings of Scripture. We know that hospitals were formed by Christians all across this country because God called us to care for the sick and and that he would be the great healer involved in it. That our educational institutions were all formed at their beginning by Christians who said we need to learn and to grow and to know the word of God so we need to be educated to know that word of God. But all of those institutions, all of that national uh, influence from the scriptures has just slipped from our fingers. And there is a very small remnant of people in our nation that still consider God primary. Now, here's what happens when a nation turns from God. Verse uh, chapter 1, Hosea, let's just read that out loud. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying... There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and break them. You kill, steal, and commit adultery. There's no violence 
There's violence everywhere, one murder after another. That's why your land is in mourning and everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea are disappearing. This has happened over hundreds of years. I want you to think about Russia right now. Over hundreds of years, they have systematically tried to purge anything and everything that smacks of religion in their culture. The communist regime for 50 years was actively persecuting the church. And when the wall came down between East and West Berlin, there was a reprieve for a while. But in the last 10 years, Vladimir Putin has put pressure on the church over and over and over again. Uh, a bill went to the Duma, which is the Senate, the legislative body on Friday this week that would make it a 15-year prison sentence for anyone to stand up in, in, in opposition to what the war is now doing. 15 years. If you just stood up and said, I disagree with that. What is the result of a lack of devotion over decades and decades and decades? Kill, kill steal, commit adultery, violence, murder, the land is in mourning. Everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea are disappearing. The impact of a life without devotion also has those hallmarks to it. A life without devotion between you and God will have those very same hallmarks. After a time, the blessings of God will, fail, will fade. Maybe you followed God once and now you're far from him and the blessings of God are starting to fade from you as a person and you are being left to your own desires and your own choices and unfortunately many will land in the place of Gomer in the story of Hosea and Gomer. We owe God our allegiance not because of what he does for us but because he is worthy. He is holy. He is just. Let's go to the third indictment, Mr. Prosecutor. The third indictment. There is no knowledge of God. Hosea 4, 6, 6. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. That word know is twice in that passage, right? They, they refuse to know me. They don't know me. They refuse to know me. Twice in that passage. And the word in the Hebrew text is an intimate word of knowing, right? You know, the Bible used to say, and he knew her, right? Well, that was a pseudonym for, you know, having, <laughs> you know, having relations, intimate relations with that person. But the word know is way deeper than that. It's way more than just that. To know someone to know them deeply is to have a relationship with them. And, and God is saying to the people, you, you, you know me, but you don't know me. And you priests, you refuse to know me. Now, not just the people are on trial, but us pastors and priests all across this nation are indicted in the same way as the people are indicted by saying, you should know better. And it's so easy for us to say, well, you know, we're doing a pretty good job. Everybody else might not be doing such a good job. Uh-uh, wait a second. I'm sitting in this chair. And Stephanie and Janice and Matt and Stacy and Bill 
who are elders of this church are sitting in the same chair as me and God brings an indictment to us and says, you know better. We are called to hold up the message of Jesus Christ above culture, that we don't let it dictate how we do church and who we are as Christians. We don't let the influence of the world today or the pressures of one person's opinion over the word of God sway us because we are the ones called to know God. As the leaders are, so are the people of God. If we want leaders in our government who are Christ followers, if we want leaders in our world governments to take over nations like Russia because they have such evil people, it must come first from the people in the nation because we get leaders that we deserve. And right now, our nation doesn't deserve leaders that are Christ followers. Maybe God will send a leader that is. But most often the case is, as the leaders go, so goes the church. You know, we put ourselves in this category. I'm, I'm shining the light on me here. And I'm needing you to hold me accountable and the elders accountable. And we are called to hold each other accountable to say, look, we are sinners in need of a savior, that we need God to step in. But right now we're in the midst of this prosecution, this judgment upon us. God's sitting here waiting for the sentence to be served to us. And the prosecution has presented his case and the evidence is clear. You and I cannot claim that we are innocent. None of us. And then the sentence. God the Father responds with this sentence. They will eat and they still be hungry. They will play the prostitute and gain nothing from it. For they have deserted the Lord to worship other gods. For everyone is sent and we fall short of the glory of God. So the picture here is that uh, four things kind of come together. Sex, money, wealth, and religion. All of these things, the world might look at and wonder, what more could one want, right? We could have religion, we could have sex, wealth, and food. And what the promise is here, the sentence is here, is because of our sin, we're going to seek after those things, but we're not going to find satisfaction in them that we're going to be hungry for this and that and the other thing, and we strive, and when we get it, we're still hungry because something's missing. That there is uh, food that we seek after. You know, I've been on this crazy diet and um, trying to lose weight and trying to get more healthy, and I've been cut off from all kinds of things that I love. But what's the problem is, is that I'm fixated on the things that I can't have <laughs> instead of on the things that I can that I'm actually enjoying. There are actually a lot of foods that I'm really enjoying, and I'm finding joy in them because... It's a similar parallel to, to us in our relationship with the world. You know what? We're, we're seeking after things that we cannot find satisfaction in without God's presence. Wealth and religion. Religion, true religion, is the seeking after holiness. We are sinners in the hands of an angry God right now. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon uh, in 17... 1793, 1741. It was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
And he said, it was said that grown men would crawl to the altar on their hands and knees. When, and when interviewed later, they said that they were afraid that at any moment the ground was going to open up and they were going to drop directly into hell. That's how powerful this message can be for us here today. That we come to full recognition of our sin and we realize there's no way out here. The sentence is passed. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. What is the sentence that is due to us? Death. We all deserve it. There's no way out. Except through the prosecutor, Jesus. Would you read those passages? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What in essence Adam is saying, would you just stand up with me, Adam, is that you are now no longer the prosecutor. Would you just have a seat right there? Doesn't matter where. He is no longer the prosecutor, but Adam represents the perfect, sinless person of Jesus. And he stands before the Heavenly Father and says, I will take all of their sin. Every single one of us, all of you online, every single one of us, all of our sin will fall on his shoulders and he will be carried to the cross and he will pay the price for our sin. That is the only way that we can truly be right with God. You can have a seat. That's the message of Hosea today. The message that Jesus is only possible way to save us from our sin because we are all guilty is by having him stand in our place and take our sin. That's the, that's the, the image of the love of God, right? It's not just the husband who stands convicted and firm and solid and faithful to the bride and, and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll always be there with you. I'll welcome you with open arms. But it's also Jesus standing in the place saying, I will give my life for her. I will pay any price. As a matter of fact, I'll pay the ultimate price to get her back. You, God's people. And Jesus paid that price with his death on the cross. Amen. What a powerful story. That in the time of Hosea, who was still uh, a thousand years, 700 years before the birth of Christ, that this message would be played out in front of the people of Israel. And the sad part of the story is, is that the people of Israel didn't listen. They didn't listen to the message. They kept sinning. They kept on going the way they were going and they kept going with the culture. And what happens is the, the sentence that God puts on the people of Israel comes to pass. The land continues to devolve and to degrade and the political system falls apart and people become under slavery. Nations take over the land of Israel and they become slaves to Babylon and to other countries all around the world. Israel is scattered. And it's only when the nation of Israel repents and turns to God does he promise to restore them. You see, you have to recognize your sin 
so that Jesus can step in front and say, I will take her place, his place. Because without the recognition that we are sinners in need of a savior, anyone who follows Jesus is following a shadow of what truly is. When we talk to people about our faith, we want to tell the story about how God is great and good and love and kindness, and that's where we need to begin. But if they truly want to follow Jesus, if you truly want to follow Jesus, if you've been following him for a long time and you need to do this again because you haven't in a while, we have all got to come before God and say, please, let the cost of the life of Jesus Christ Pay the price for my sin. Please forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I want to ask you to be with us now as we kind of comp- contemplate the, the depth, the power of this message. Lord, this is probably the hardest message I'll preach all year to talk about the, the depth of our sin, the power of the sin that you stood before us and you stand before us in time, outside of time and space and you pronounce judgment on us. But thank God for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who stood up and said, I will take it all. I will take it all so that we all might be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.